I'm sorry. I had to say it because <laughs> it makes me horribly I'm like. I'm going to take off a glove in the same way. I'm just always going to be like, well, this is me to gloving today. <laughs> it's like it's McLovin to gloving. Oh, God. Oh, fuck. Oh, God. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide, Disco Citizens, the podcast where gorehounds and best friends, Terry Gamble and Julia Marchesi, break down a different horror movie each week, exploring a multitude of genres, subgenres, and sub-subgenres, classic and cult, international and underground flicks alike, determining which films are the goriest, and offering up Horror Movie Survival Guide tips to, to help, help you stay alive. It's time for some horror movie survival guide. I am Julia. Here is my lovely co-host. Terry. What's up, Julia? What are we doing this week? What are we going to talk about? Let's talk about 2017's Gerald's Game. The title of this episode, which makes me so happy, All Things Serve the Beam. And the tagline for this movie is, Some games you play, some you survive. Okay, so it's written by uh, Jeff Howard and Mike Flanagan, who also direct. So this is Mike Flanagan plus Stephen King, which is the dream team. Everything Julia could ever want in the world is right here before us. I think this is like your 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 bread and butter, your creme de creme, the the, the top of the crop, the, uh, the 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 goodness yes. that is the Flanagan plus the the King again, and. Uh, Another bench uh, by the water. What what can we say? We've got it all. <laughs> Mike Flanagan loves him. We love him for that. We love uh, a bench so, by the water chat. We love it. <laughs> we do. And uh, so this was a, uh, I haven't, this was the first time I watched this movie. Um, oh. And I'd kind of been putting it off. Uh, Why? Because I wanted, well, I wanted to do it for the show, first of all. Second of all, uh, I, I don't really like the book very much. <sighs> Uh, it's one of, so it was one that I read. So, you know, I started reading Stephen King when I was really early. Right. So this, yeah. I probably read Gerald's game at like 12 or something. And oh, I, that's maybe too early. And that's what I thought. I was like, <laughs> okay, when I, when I finished it, I really didn't like it. I was like, okay, maybe I'm just, this is too much for me. Maybe, maybe this is like, I got to read this when I'm older. So I did. I not I be it. okay at 12. Like Julia, <laughs> what kind of child? I don't know. Okay. Okay. Just so this is why this is why I'm having this podcast, right? This is the kind of kid that I am. So I was like, okay, this book's probably just over my head. I'll re- revisit it as an adult, which I did. And I was like, no, I still don't like it, which is shocking because it it's one character for the whole book, which I love, right? That may, nothing makes me happy. It's like than people like in a room mostly. Yeah, it's yeah, like people just in a room too- talking, which is my my love. Yes. Holy crap. Uh, so, so I was, you know, so I finally, when we were watching this, um, there's nothing better than Mike planning and doing it. I'm like, he's going to make this the best version of this story there is, period. And he's done it. And I actually really loved it. So that's a spoiler for the episode. But let's get into it, shall we? Yes, let's do. So we have a couple packing for like a sexy getaway, it looks like. And, you know, they're already giving us little tidbits of kind of their personalities as the like little drive is happening on their way to this place. Uh, they're taking in the scenery and, you know, it's a uh, it's a little contentious already. You can tell he's a little like uh, I'm leading this girl kind of a guy, little Dom energy. If, if I'm getting straight off the top and I was like, hmm, <laughs> is this game going to be a little um, uh, Dom sexy? 
Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. It, it might. They almost run into a dog who is eating a possum on the road, and he has no sympathy for this dog, but she, of course, does. He's um, like, what are these strays doing out here? I was like, oh, no, he doesn't care about the dog. He's a terrible man right there. That was our yeah. little not not saving the cat, opposite of saving the cat, wanting to kill the dog energy. And that's and that's something that you can do guaranteed that will turn an audience off to that character. Yep. Like we can forgive a lot of things, but if somebody hates animals, you're like, oh no, something's wrong with that guy. Right? They're giving us unconditional love. The animals are there for us. And if you're going to be shitty to the animals, you are not a good person. That's uh, if you're shooting at anybody, not a good person. So she wants to feed the dog, ends up feeding him some $200 a portion Kobe steak, which he makes. A Kobe beef. From Kobe. Uh, so we get to. And she calls the little dog my poor prince. Like she literally, like she's in, she suckered in on this dog and like just loves him though. Ugh. So we get to uh, starting the game. So we have our friend uh, Gerald, who's going to be taking his Viagra. So uh, I should mention, I've read uh, so online, so it must be true, that the headboard is part of the Oculus mirror, that he somehow like made it into the headboard. Um, the Laster Glass shows up in like all of his movies, and it makes me so happy because I love Oculus so much. If you haven't listened to our Oculus episode, get to it, because Yoga Dear Me be just as excited as this. If not, um, more. if not more, I think you're like a brimming, brimming. This is also excitement, but oh my gosh. But also they go back in the house and they do not close their front door. I know they're out in the countryside, but I did not see anybody close that door. And I was like, no, 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 no. Oh no. Already leaving room for something bad to enter on in. And I can't tell if it was like a honeymoon weekend or whatever. I was just trying to figure out and she's got a nightgown. She's taking a tag off a little negligee. She's getting ready after he takes his Viags and he comes out with some handcuffs. And wants to play mm-hmm. some role playing. And he does it kind of not setting up very safely. If you're in the kinky community and know, you need to have some safety rules. He does not seem to be following any of those type of rules. No, there's absolutely none. I, I, I don't think he's even considered anything like that. Uh, so he handcuffs her to the bed. And she's sort of willing to give it a try, but also doesn't seem really comfortable with it. And he's turning into somebody she doesn't know. Really, he becomes this different person. So it's supposed to be this fantasy scenario, which he is not okay with her first, which is a a, a very rapey fantasy. And she's not okay with it, lets him know not okay with it. But then he's like, oh, well, what if I just launch you out? What if I just keep going with this fantasy and you can't get out? What are you going to do? And he also, they also talk about it. It's been months since they've actually had sex. So this is something that's been building up. So it feels like he is taking some sort of retribution against her for not having sex all this time as well. So it's like, it's like I'm kind of taking what's owed to me. So it is feeling very, very rapey. Um, and she ends up biting his freaking face. And I was like, good for you, girl. Get his face. Yes, but okay, so here's an interesting uh, slight change from the book that uh, in this in this version, Gerald just has a heart attack and dies, uh, hits his head on the ground. Uh, in the book, she kicks him. And that's what gives him a heart attack. Like she kicks him off her. Uh, hard enough once in the stomach and once in the dick and like gives him a heart attack so there's a different there's a bit of like okay so you're may are you trying to make her a little less part of it like she didn't do it it was just chance like, like it could have been it could be it. anything yeah maybe to take the blame off of her so we have so we fight for her more maybe like so or maybe i don't know she still seems to feel all the guilt anyway that oh, of sure. like of that and like of like maybe the withholding and stuff like that too but he, uh, she's still handcuffed to the bed, and um, 
she thinks what his his little heart attack moment is an act. So that I think maybe that's why so that they're like, oh, she doesn't think she caused it. It's just like, oh, he's just playing part of the game. It's continuing on. It's like, no, no, no. This is not an act, my friend. This is yeah, that, that would one be of a your weird worst nightmares. To your, to your kinky, kinky night is to pretend to have a heart attack as part of it. That seems really unlikely. But, you know, you, the mind goes to strange places. So he dies right Everybody on got a top thing. of her. <laughs> yeah. And she does kick him off. But like after he's dead onto the bed and he cracks his head on the floor and breaks it open. So she sees the blood. Um, but and everything helpful is just out of reach. Everything, uh, you know, and he had had her try to like call for help during the the rapey fantasy, and she'd been doing kind of playing along. But now she realizes, oh, if she really calls for help, there's nobody. They're so remote by this lake. There's no one for miles around, and she's by herself with dead husband on the floor. And how is she going to get out? So uh, I, this was a very interesting change and something that I actually really, really enjoyed. Uh, in the book, It's it, she has different voices that she's hearing in her head that are talking to her. So she has um, her very rational, like her very, like the like the, the queen bitch one, which is what we kind of get in this one. Uh, we also get her childhood self, her college roommate, and her uh, therapist. So they're like really different voices coming in. So I kind of like that they didn't do that. Like he just has her as like the badass self, but also Gerald there who is berating her for this whole movie. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. I really like that. So it was a really like a, a change that made it better to me. Because it, it really became Gerald's game for real. Like that yeah, it's really exactly. him like instigating it and like actually like, but it's also her though too, because it's just her version of him in her head, right? So mm -hmm. it's technically is still her having these like things, but it is fun to have him pop up and look like you're like, wait, what the fuck? Okay, is he, no, no, no. He's still very dead. <laughs> yeah, and the, the, the shot of him looking into the camera because she asked what's happening is like, I'm pretty sure you just lost your mind. You're like, oh, and this is how it would really happen. It would just happen in this snap, right? She twangs, and like, this is what the pro, the post twang movie, if you will. And that's like, I feel like Julia. That also feels like your dream because you're always like, I want to know what now. Like, how are they living their life? Like now that they're yeah. broken and like they can't, you know, they can't they can't reason anymore. So yeah, um, most movies take the entire mm -hmm. movie to to make a girl twang, but this girl's done it in like the first like twenty minutes of the movie. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah. it's pretty post fast. Yeah, and so. Um, all of a sudden, you know, it seems like friends arrive, but it's really like a flash of like these friends who are like we're supposed to come like Nate and Kelly were supposed to show up and she's wondering who if someone's there. But it's the dog that she rescued earlier. She thought it was people maybe coming into the house, but the dog makes his way in and he goes right to Gerald and does what a, a sweet dog he's going to do when he sees some fresh meat right in front of him. And he's real hungry. Yeah, well, he's got munch him up. And so she gets angry. She throws a book at him, which is brilliant. This is Mike Flanagan in It's Midnight Mass and it's written by the character from Hush. So, yes, his inside jokes make me, you know, like the inside because like I, I get them right. Like that's what's exciting about it. And like when you're a super fan of Mike Flanagan, you're like, oh, there's the Lasser class. Sweet. You get so excited. It's like this, this like shared universe. It was a little chef's kiss. It was very beautiful. And it felt very like. Stephen King meets Mike Flanagan in a moment too, because they both are, are very good at tipping the hat and having those little, mm -hmm. I think, moments in their in their in their projects. So she throws the midnight mask, sends the dog away, and he's like, eh, and he comes back and is just chewing on an arm. You know, he's got a little snack uh, to enjoy. Uh, so and he and, and there is a moment where uh, Gerald calls him Cujo. So you go, yay! Just a little bit, just just a little bit of fun. Um, did, did, did so, dice it in. So yeah. So and then Gerald tries to take a, ter does a terrible joke talking about um, what's a woman or something like that, a life support system for a cunt. 
you know, just just he's just just a terrible dude. But he's really it's it's this level where now all pretenses are dropped and he's just going to say, like, didn't you heard me tell this joke? Don't you realize that's what I really think? That's what I thought about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I thought think about all women uh, and to to immediately lay himself bare in that way uh, is really fascinating. Um, and I, I, you know, she has this already because we know her mind's broken, kind of anything goes. So she has a fantasy where she reaches out, gets out like immediately. And she's like, oh, it's just that easy. And you're like, no, 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 you're not out. You're you're still there. Um, and, and, and it really goes through very graphically the kind of descent your body goes into real quickly so you know they say like how long can a human spend without water you're like three days you're like three days that's nothing like humans like disintegrate so fast if we don't have water like we didn't get very far out of the ocean did we because if we don't have water we that's die why our coastlines are jam-packed with people do you know what i mean though like it makes sense we all are like where's a water source we must be by something to make sure that we do not die right mm-hmm. so um, so it's five hours later and she, you know, she's taking assessment too. And, you know, time keeps on ticking and she's like, who could hear her scream? And she's trying to give herself a pep talk. And, you know, she's going through all these different things where she's, you know, fighting to get her phone, um, from the side of the bed. Like there's all these little things that she's continuing to try. Um, but she's not doing well. Um, and, uh, Ger- Gerald's mm-hmm. giving her a lot of information from mm-hmm. herself that we think that she probably doesn't know, right? She like he's like, oh, the f- I don't charge my phone, and that's something that she would know, but not really consciously think about. And like, okay, well now the subconscious is coming out and telling you what you noticed, but you didn't really think you noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have our, our her badass self. Who is there? Is that we can call her that? Is there another yeah, her name? Sure, I like badass it. Self. The badass um, version. Of- of herself, yes, the higher higher self, yes, but the badass uh, version. She's very straightforward and you know, says you have always have this denial when you panic and then you you run away from whatever the problem was, uh, but you've been handcuffed since you were twelve years old, and he's like, what? And so this is a secret that Gerald, her her husband of eleven years, doesn't know. And what could this possibly be? I did not realize they had been married that long. Like I kept trying to figure out how long they had been married in the movie because I was just it just they felt so foreign to each other like they had not spent that much time together you know they, said, they say 11 years in the movie right i didn't even hear it and i didn't hear it if they did so i never wrote that down i kept wondering i was like how long have they been married and i never felt like i got that answered so i don't know if they did i missed it um because it just felt like they were like you know um like second marriage kind of people or like that was his second marriage and she was just like the, the mm-hmm. forget about wife you know like he's definitely gone through them is what it felt like um Aww. so you know, hey, people got their things. You know, people got patterns out there. Uh, I'm going to be somebody's second wife. I'm going to be a great second wife for somebody, you know, <laughs> so I feel I feel OK with that. Um, maybe that's why I've researched. Um, so, yeah. So she, you know, is like that thing where he, he does hear her like. Whoa. And so we get some flashback moments with her and her dad and family. And we find out a little bit more about how she grew up. I have to tell you, you know how much I love Henry Thomas. And when he shows up in my Planet movies, I get really, really excited. I didn't know he was in this. And he showed up and I was like, mind blown instantaneously. Because I'm like, oh my God, I know what her dad does. We're going to see Henry Thomas do it. Oh my fucking God. Like the most sweet, wholesome, like him as a priest, right? Like I buy it. I'm like, you're like the sweetest, most wholesome boy ever. To see him play someone like this is like, oh, yes. Mike Flanagan giving him the good stuff to do, right? I did not know what was going to happen when I watched this because I did not read the book. Holy crap. I was not prepared. (laughs) I was like, oh, yay, Henry Thomas. And so 
brilliant for him casting him because for yes. those of us who did not know, we're like, oh, we feel comfort all of a sudden. And then yeah. you're like, oh, oh, really? No. Yeah. It's hard when you have, Exactly. Like just someone that you already have a connection with. And it's someone like casting Paul Rudd or something in this role, right? Where you'd be like, oh, Paul Rudd, I love him. Right. And then you go down. You go, wow, that's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant casting move. Um, it so killed my she, little heart. Yeah. It did it. It should. It should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the whole point, right? Absolutely. It's brave of Henry Thomas to do it as well. He's great. He's great. Um, it was devastating. But it's it, you but you understand how this could happen for her. And then it makes more sense why she's with Gerald as well, because it's this guy who on the outside looks like he's right like it's that's the thing the veneer of like the american family kind of a thing the veneer of like the guy who like looks like he has everything together he's got the right things he's got the right everything looks okay but he's a raging you know terrible person on the inside and is going to do terrible bad things to people and is like you know pathological essentially so she has kind of a tete-a-tete with her mom when she's younger and her mom you know that kind of classic 12 year old girl of like, I'm trying to assert myself and my mom doesn't understand me, but her dad seems very protective and very sweet. And the mom strangely seems jealous of her daughter and you're getting that kind of energy and you're like, Oh no, that's not very good sign either. If the mom seems jealous of the daughter, because something bad is probably happening with that dad. Yes. So uh, the, and she is unapproving of the very short, dress that she's wearing the sundress so the deal is there this and is dad a thinks the sundress is cute yeah he does uh the at this lake house and uh mom katie siegel mike flanagan regular and there's an argument because they're going out on this boat and dad wants to stay behind with jesse and mom thinks it's weird and they have an argument about it but eventually they do so it, this it turns out to be during a solar eclipse which uh stephen king fans is very exciting because this is the same solar eclipse from dolores claiborne so there's two novels taking place at the exact same time during this eclipse just fyi this is why stephen king is so cool giving you all those little little easter eggs um and we hear the radio talking about the solar eclipse day and people have drowned out in the and so be careful out on the lake so there's like the tension of that too of like hey you can't look directly into the the sun all that kind of stuff too like you have to have the special like viewing thing to to look um and her little nickname from her dad at this point too is mouse and so it's kind of like sweet and i was like oh mouse oh julia Mm-hmm. That's like your little, you're your little mouse. That's like one of your favorite little animals. So I, I anyway, know. I, so I, many little call, things. So call like, me that as well. So mm-hmm. it's it's pumpkin in the book. So it's also one of those things. I'm like, I don't, I don't know why they change these things. They seem so in, interchangeable to me. But mouse is adorable. So how how can you say no? It's very cute. Um, maybe it's like to go with the like rest of the like I don't know the motif of uh, animals but, and like the dog and all this stuff too. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, uh, also you could th- say mouse is kind of a demeaning nickname, right? It's this Mousey. very small kind mm-hmm. of uh, uh, this creature who is, is very overpowered by, by people. So uh, I like it. So uh, they have the solar eclipse. He, she is sitting on his lap uh, looking at on the, the bench by the water, on the bench by the water where they've had a little talk where dad looks like he's, he hasn't, rehearse this but he has rehearsed this like he knows exactly what he's going to say and this whole scenario has been played out and he's like planned it so the kids can go out on the boat like it's all been set up by him in his head yeah and sam cook is playing on the radio and it's like oh it just feels strangely romantic and you're like oh no so um 
Yeah. Sorry. Go on. You can. <laughs> uh, so he, so she uh, he ends up uh, drinking off behind her in in the and he doesn't. So she, she asks him to. Yeah, he's like sit on my lap, like old time sake, baby. Like and she's he's she's like okay, daddy, and like she's in her little short little sundress and yeah. Yeah. So he just tells her not to look. He doesn't touch her. He only touches himself. Uh, but this is this is the first idea of what happened uh, being let let into the story. She is becoming incredibly dehydrated, but thankfully, Gerald has led, uh, left a glass of water on a shelf above her, which she's able to slide down to get to it. But then she can't reach it. She, it's, a, it's just out of reach. Just out of reach. And she's like, fuck. So she's got to get get creative. She's um, going to MacGyver it, right? Mm-hmm, fully. She's going to so. use the tag from her dress that she bought earlier that she put up on the top shelf to make herself a little makeshift straw and feel so proud of herself that she figured that out. It's it's uh, kind of brilliant, actually. It so is. She makes herself a little paper straw or our most favorite type of straw after, um, <laughs> you know, that they've I hate a paper straw. It's literally one of too. the worst things I, on the planet I know. It just as they disintegrate into your drink and, you, and into your mouth. And it just feels I hate how they feel. Um, anyway, um, that's me on paper straws, kids. Um, they are <laughs> awful. This is what um, you come to this podcast for, right? It's not horror movies. It's our opinions on paper straws. Honestly, just give me those corn ones. Those are great. Like, give me those ones. Like, those are so much better. <laughs> I know they're better for the environment than the but plastic they, I ones. I can't. I can't do my. I can't do my my straw trick. My famous straw trick with those, uh, oh, which is yeah. I remember. I can make a. I can make a straw sound like a slide whistle. Uh, it's one of my party tricks. So I can't do it with a fucking paper straw. Oh, they're the killing your tricks. There. They're killing your tricks. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> um. So yeah, so she is able to drink her little drink, drink her little juice, Shelby. Um, and, um, you know, she lets her husband know, like in her little craziness, like, yeah, there's so many things that you don't know about me. Like it wasn't relevant, but like, you know, there's so many secrets that are probably down this well, you know, of her life. So she's really, as you would, your life is kind of flashing before your eyes as you think you're slowly dying, right? And so that's sure. kind of what's happening as well too. But she's able to preserve herself a little bit um, with this water. But um She's gaining more strength as well, too, as she's conquering these fears and these old stories. Um, so she's got inner strength mm -hmm. is going up, but outer yep. strength going down real fast. Yeah, because yeah, her arms it, have been hung up there. So she's just like, you know, kind of you don't have you lose the feeling in your hands. She's losing, you know, feeling yeah. in parts of her body because she's not able to turn the way she needs to. So mm -hmm. she is lo losing dexterity as the hours go on, too. So in the nighttime, she has a vision. And, and because this is fantastic, again, because we know she's lost her mind, anything she sees can be real or not real. We really are never really sure. So she sees a man standing in the corner of her room. Uh, this man is played by Carol Strike. And we haven't mentioned by this is Carla G Gugino and Boost Greenwood uh, and Cherry Aurelia, who are all fantastic in this movie. Uh, so we haven't really shot anybody out yet, but they are they are all in there. But Carol Strickland is someone you know from a lot of movies and television. He's in Twin Peaks, which always has endeared me uh, to him. And he's fantastic. So he's there, the Moonlight Man, they call him in this movie uh in the in the shadows and he has his bag of bones which is a stephen king novel which they mention and also on his belt as uh, our dark tower fans he has a rook skull which cuthbert had on always with him and a jawbone which roland got when he was in tall so oh my god so much dark tower all of a sudden holy much. crap and then Julia, thank you again Mike Flanagan might be, you know, adapting the Dark Tower or something. So he's like giving you 
And, you know, we, we do get him saying, uh, Gerald does say all, th- all things serve the beam kind of out of nowhere in this movie. Uh, it doesn't really fit in, but it made me so incredibly happy as a constant reader, which is basically the, the saying in the Dark Tower of everything you do is for this one purpose, which is to save the tower, uh, which is held by beams. So huzzah, all the gunslingers in the world are very happy. Thank you for listening. You can also listen to me talk about Stephen King on the Losers Club podcast, by the way. If you just solely want to listen to me talk about Stephen King, that's the podcast. There is a place for that. There is a place for that. I love it. I love it. I love you, Julia, so much. Um, I love you, You've too. Read, read so much freaking... It's it's, it's fucking great. Um, I just thought he was creepy looking. So that's from someone who has not read the Dark Tower series. Moonlight Man was fucking terrifying with a fucking bag of bones. It's really scary. Um, but also I wasn't sure because I was like, is this her boogeyman coming out of like, like you said, you can't tell if it's real or not real the whole time uh, through this movie. Um, and so she's mm-hmm. she's really kind of losing it here. And she's we go back and Gerald tells her it was death you saw. Death, death and death's going to come back for you if you think he's not like you're crazy. So we, we flash back to the bedroom scene after the incident on the on the lakeshore where dad has this incredibly terrible dialogue where he uh, tells her basically like we got to tell mom. And if she knows, if they tell mom, like the entire family is going to explode and it's going to, she's going to think it's her fault. And so basically like blames her into saying that she's never going to tell. Uh, Full victim blame, full victim blame. Like it's just reverse psychology and everything in the conversation. Cause it's like, well, I have to tell her. She's like, no, 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 you can't tell her. So she's the one insisting that he Mm -hmm. doesn't say anything at this point, like full reverse psychology. It's awful. Uh, he tells her that he need, they need to, he need, she needs to take our medicine, which was a line in The Shining uh, that Jack says a lot, and he also says that line in Doctor Sleep. So it all it all comes around. So it ends up being such a bad uh, conversation that she ends up at the end of the conversation saying thank you, Daddy, for not telling Mom. So it's all gone wrong, and this is the con- this is the conversation that kind of killed her at twelve years old. So that's where she really died. And that's really where she was kind of held captive for all these years and stuff, too, for, since that. Um, and this is where she had locked away. And to unearth it, she has to unearth it to set herself free, really. So now that she has done that, though, she kind of as the next morning, she's just a snap to it because she's like, wait, I am disintegrating still. I am not going to be OK. And he's like, if that guy comes back, you're, you're done for, you know. So it's like we have to f- get get ourselves together and really start. Uh, final girling, so to speak, right? Like this is yeah. where she's like, is like, okay, what the fuck can I do? Let's get smart. What do I have? What is? What are my tools? Like, like we like to do, right? We're assessing the sure. situation, and I'm like, okay, what can I do? Well, I got to get out of the cuffs. That's step one to get anything done. How can I get out of these freaking cuffs? Well, what do you have? I have a glass. What can I do with that glass? Yeah. So we have a flashback where uh, at the dinner table after the incident, the mom asks how the day went and she ends up crushing a glass with her hand because she's so enraged. So, and she gives a look to her mom that the mom reads everything in that one look and doesn't do anything. So a lot of this movie is about like what's inside that you're not telling to other people. I think there's a theme that Gerald and, and Jesse say about like where who did I marry and like who is this person really that you could be married to somebody for so long and have the secret that's that's eating them up inside like so, literally life defining right yeah, like sure. it's, it's it's something and sometimes that's one of those things too where you, you don't always know or it's like can be unspoken or you do know you just don't have the words to like to get it out to this person right so mm-hmm. 
it's it's really beautifully written as far as that. Like I was just like, oh, it killed me. It's so yeah, so viscerally. Um, For sure. And yeah. so this scene is the scene that most people think of when they read this book. And it's something that I, I'm happy that Netflix let Mike Flanagan do this movie because I'm sure they gave him a big budget and left him alone to do what he wanted, which is fantastic. But the fact that this did not get a theatrical release because I the sound of people watching this scene in the movie theater together would be the most incredible, awesome sound I've ever heard. It would go on for the entire scene and it would be fucking delightful. Because it is a whole heck of a lot. Well, what does she need to get out of those cuffs? She needs to lubricate those cuffs to get them off her thing. What is she going to use? Blood. Um, so we're going to get some cut, cut, cuts. We're going to get some blood, blood, blood. But she also knows she's got to stop the blood right away. So what is she going to use? A sanitary napkin to stop that blood. There's a lot going on. But she's also delirious. It is fucking brilliant. She kills it and goes hard right here. And this is the part I was definitely here for. And now it's yeah. like, oh, we're in the game now. This is it. Joy, joyous disgust is mm -hmm. is the name of of that sound, and it would be intense in this scene. So I hate to say this word because I I know this was what like people technically like in the misery they say the hobbling, right? Like that's what happens to a home with his feet. And this one, it's degloving, which makes me want to fucking puke. <laughs> it's so gross. Oh yeah, Terry's losing her mind. <laughs> It's terrible. I'll just be moving away from the microphones just so I don't yell in it. I'm sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so fucking awful. <laughs> you didn't know? <laughs> Julia, no. I'm sorry. I wasn't, I'm not like, you know, well versed in like the like, you know, names of like maiming. I'm so sorry. That's yeah, your funny. department. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to say it because. <laughs> it makes me horribly I'm like to take off a glove in the same way. I'm just always going to be like, well, this is me to gloving today. <laughs> it's like That's McLovin to gloving. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, God. Uh, so she uh, is able to she does it. She's able to rip her hand out of that cuff. And she knows she has like this very short amount of time to do what she's going to do. She uh, tries with the use of phone. Phone is dead. Uh, ends up pulling the bed over to the bathroom where she can find the key, gets the key with her mouth. She can't really use the other hand. She's trying to do it with her mouth, gets out, has to drink water right away. Sanitary napkins. I would have sanitary napkins and then a towel on top of that. It seems like it doesn't bleed as much as I think it would bleed, but I She's can't. so weak at that point though. So it's like she's just like literally it's like this the economy of motion, you know, mm -hmm. like it's like I think very important at that mo at that point. And so um the moonlight man she runs into as she's trying to leave the house and get herself to safety um, and drive away. Oof. Uh, question. So uh, if she she knows she can't use Gerald's phone, mm -hmm. but why can't she use her phone? Because the thought of her trying to drive in this state is 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 ridiculous, right? There's no. Well, it's already been like over a day and a half. Her phone's probably not charged at this point either. And I, then, I guess. Yeah. And they don't have a house phone at this place. Do you have a house phone? No. Okay. Not anymore. So she would have a phone, but this is beside the point. What, what, what Moonlight Man shows up, and to appease him, she gives him her wedding ring because he because Gerald keeps saying he has a little bag of knickknacks that he likes to collect from his victims. So she is able to drive away. Uh, she sees Gerald waving her goodbye, looking very angelic, and then she sees the Moonlight Man in the back seat. She's like falling asleep, and she wrecks the car. Which is but she wrecks thing. it near a neighbor. Yes. yes. Thank goodness. So the neighbors come and find her and help her get out of the car. And 
She basically has like a trauma blackout at this moment. And it's just like, <laughs> like out. <laughs> and, and, and she gets out of the car and says hi. And then, and then goes, it reminds me one of the scenes in cinema that really scares me to this day is, have you seen uh, wild at heart? Yeah. Okay. So there's the scene in wild at heart where they are in the desert and they come across the car accident where Sherilyn Fenn is just kind of staggering around and like digging like her fingers into her head wound. Cause it doesn't know what's happened. I think that's one of the most terrifying scenes in cinema. It scares me so bad. It's so awful because like her friends are just there, they're dead and she's so out of it. She doesn't realize what's happening. I'm like, that's fucking terrifying. And I don't, well, I don't know why it's in that movie. It, may, it has nothing to do with the film, but it really, really scares me. That's why it's there. <laughs> that's why it's there. It's there to scare you, Julia. Um, and to give you that, that sense that is terrifying. You know, I, I, I think that is a, a fear that, and uh, to tap into, you know what I mean, though, of that thing of like, okay, if I'm helpless and then everyone else around me is too, like, I'm, you're done. You're done. Mm -hmm. Right. So she's able to, you know, be taken care of. And um, we find out later that, you know, um, whether that moon guy was real or not, sounds like he was pretty real. Yes. So she finds out she is, this is six months later, her hand has had some uh, graphs that hasn't gone particularly well, but she's just wearing a glove and she's writing a letter to her younger self. About she's regloved. Happened. She has regloved. She has. Um, so uh, she sees him in her bedroom every night and she's still having nightmares, but she's alive. Uh, so they also never found out where her wedding ring went afterwards. So that was kind of a mystery that could maybe say that he was real. So should we find out that she started a family foundation to keep uh to talk about her abuse and help other kids who have been sexually abused so she's gone on to something turned this into something uh, the silver lining if you will of the situation so she finds out that the moonlight man is actually a serial killer called Rab raymond albert joubert who was his known as the crypt keeper who's mm -hmm. stealing jewelry and body parts from crypts then people and then he starts to collect trophies in a very ed gain kind of way and they find his house where he has this house of horrors of bits of and he like has sex he... with the dead and stuff like he's that mm -hmm. kind of a, a a shitty healer yeah 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 uh, and he also has a condition that causes extreme enlargement of the extremities. Uh, so he has been captured and now is being has this trial that's going on and she needs to go see him for herself and make sure that he knows that she's real. They say that he hasn't talked at all since his arrest, hasn't said one word. Yeah. So that's kind of creepy, too. If there's this guy who looks like he the crypt keeper that he does and, you know, it's it's kind of terrifying and he hasn't spoken. I think he was scared of her. like he couldn't tell who was who. Like, was she a ghost? Was he a ghost? Kind of a moment um, thing, too. So they both kind of it's like confirmation with each other when they see each other in court. Um, so he says uh, when mm -hmm. he sees her, you're not real. You're only made of moonlight, which is something that she had said to him. And so this is the first words that he's spoken uh, and they go up and regard each other. Uh, and she said, you're much smaller than I imagined and walks away. So she gets her, her little uh, quip at the end and she gets to go out and be in the sunlight and wear sunglasses because her future is so bright. She's got to wear shades. Ooh, I don't know. I think it's going to be a, a tough future, but I, I'm glad that she's out there trying to help other people <laughs> and faced her and faced her big demon and faced her big fear. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this, this, as I mentioned in the beginning, is really the best adaptation I could ever hope for for this movie. It, uh, this book, it is spot on. It improves on the original material, in my opinion, and 
is really, really strong. And for me, as you know, I love people talking in rooms. This is, you know, just a few people in this film and just going into the depths of a character as far as they can possibly go is all I want in a movie. So uh, that's that's how I feel about it. Huzzah. Well, do you want to do some gore factor? You want me to gore? Uh, I'll do it. Uh, one is not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two is a puddle of blood. Three is enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four is a bathtub of blood. Five is run for the barf bag. If it wasn't a dog eating the face off of somebody, then it's a uh, dig loving that will give you a five. Uh, 100%. I know. I'm sorry I put that word in your head because it's going to live there forever. It's it's my new favorite thing now. Now, now I've made peace with it. And now I just think it's hilarious. And now I just need shirts that say that. Okay. Um, D. Glevin, Horror Movies Survival Guide. We love it. <laughs> Um, but it's made like a McDonald's thing, like uh love in it. Okay. Um, <laughs> movie ratings, chainsaws, one if you're desperate, two barely qualifies as a horror film, three seen worse, seen better, four not too shabby, five fantastical. This is a four for me. What about you, Jules? Oh, it's a full five. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought the performances were incredible. I thought the way that the story unfolded was perfect. Uh I got I got no notes. I got it's like no notes. So upsetting. Maybe that's what it is for me. I'm just like, ugh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's not a fun. It's, it's not a fun movie, right? But it's a it's a horror it's a movie that really. Movie. Mm-hmm. It, and and you know, I like Mike Flanagan because he's a very uh, cerebral director, right? It's a lot about going into the minds of his characters, which I absolutely adore. I love got the psychology for sure. Yeah, I am so excited for his adaptation of The Dark Tower. It's going to be so incredible. I am like the the constant reader joy in me and my heart. I can't even express. Get to work on it, Julia. I would love to see you guys work. You got to work with him somehow. I'm I'm just putting it out into the universe again. I'm always cheering cheering you on. I think you'd be uh, an an asset to his team. Look at me giving this interview today. Um, (laughs) I am giving the reference. So if you need references, Mike Flanagan, give give me a call. Uh, You can you can email me um, info at Terry Gamble dot com i'm happy to happy to give some references for julia um (laughs) so um yeah for sure so thank you guys so much this this i think this is our last of the flanagans though right so this is our last flanagan horror we've done all the flanagan horror movies i know he's got plenty of tv shows and lots of other stuff out there um as you know our show is as movie focused so um enjoy all of his content his stuff is so good midnight mass i cannot say more good things about i freaking love that freaking um can show um and so many other things he does so yeah we love you flanagan come be on our show yes please uh i i i i would like that so you can find us on the internet we are on twitter facebook instagram we love to talk to our listeners we also love have our recommendations so if there's a film that you would like us to cover please let us know we do keep a list that we look at every time we schedule so it could be you next time <gasps> it could be you okay have a great week you guys we'll see you again real soon Thank you for listening. Horror Movie Survival Guide is independently produced by Terry Gamble, Julia Marchesi, and Sierra Rhine. Hey, that's me. If you would like to support the show, find us on patreon.com slash horrormoviesurvivalguide.